I am Mustafa Sharif. Thank you for listening or watching Urbanistica podcast slash talk. I'm looking forward to this episode. It's going to be really interesting. We're going to talk about the coronavirus and the livable city. I'm honored and I have the pleasure to welcome my guest, the creative director at Gale Copenhagen, David Sim. Welcome to Urbanistica podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you one more time. How are you doing, David? Um, I'm doing all right. Um, I have a, suddenly have a new life. Normally, my life is traveling either between the south of Sweden, Lund, where I live, and to Copenhagen over the bridge every day. But a good part of my time, I'm also traveling around Europe and out in the world, working as a consultant with Gail. Um, and so suddenly I'm now working at home. And although I'm still working full time, like many people, I'm working in a very different way. And most of my time is spent like now in front of a screen. Um, having this kind of conversation and yeah, spending more time, I suppose you could say in virtual rooms. Yeah. And that um, brings with it new challenges, but also quite, um, also interesting new experiences. And I guess that maybe raises a question, which we can maybe take at the end is when all of this Corona thing is over, will we start living different lives? True. Very interesting. Of course, we're going to talk about this Many people think, okay, being at home, it's boring. I, I'm missing my, my office, people I'm working with. How is the experience for you now? Um, it's a little bit strange, of course, um, because I have a very sociable work life, um, both with my colleagues in Copenhagen. And I guess it's because as a consultant, um, the kind of the way that a company like Gales works, we've got a lot of different customers, a lot of different clients. We're out meeting people. We're out meeting uh, members of the public, uh, city staff, uh, politicians, we're always meeting new people. So suddenly this is all stopped or um, that spontaneous meeting of new people has stopped. And now, of course, I, I'm, I'm stuck stuck at home. Um, I would say it's nice as well because I'm <laughs> connecting with the place. Um, I'm experiencing my, my, my home environment, my, my little house, uh, my little garden. I'm seeing my neighbors that I normally never see. Um, I've made friends with the lady who lives maybe five or six meters across the yard because my French window connects to her balcony. I don't know if it's as, it's as, as, as inspiring as Italy, but even, you know, even in Sweden, we can make these balcony neighbors and connect in different ways. And so maybe that's something, again, we might dive into is somehow by by being more in the same place, we're becoming better connected to where we are. Um, and whether it's just seeing the different patterns of light, seeing how the sun behaves in different times of the day, seeing the life around us, because normally I'm not in my home during the day. Yeah. And when I look out my window, I see different things now. You know, I see like a kindergarten group out for wow. a walk. I see these, um, you know, old people with their walking frames. You know, I, I've discovered that behind my house is a place where young people secretly go to smoking. Uh, <laughs> so I, and, and I guess I feel a little bit, and I think about Jane Jacobs, yeah. you know, in her house in New York, all the things she could see from her window. And I guess a lot of us are going to become really dedicated window watchers. Yeah. Um, I'm going to learn a lot more about the places where we are. I think it's going to be really interesting to to have a local experience, especially for you, you're always like globally and traveling. 
so now maybe it's a good moment for you to explore about your local experience well yes. i have a, in a way a little bit of a i can have maybe a double life um, um as you know i'm creative director at gale in copenhagen which is a very international company but again very local i'm actually scottish um so i live in sweden so even living in sweden and working in denmark is kind of a little bit edgy for me because i'm, I'm still a foreigner and for me, there's a kind of exoticism, even in the everyday life here, because I can see it with maybe a different perspective. And I think now as as the world becomes more international and there are many, many people like me who have a kind of like multiple nationality, kind of in the way we come from one place, we've lived somewhere else, we've worked somewhere else. We have sympathies and understandings, empathies for different points of view and different cultures that um, this maybe prepares us for, for this kind of situation because we can see things from different angles. Yeah. Uh, so for me, there's, I mean, it's quite exciting to be in Sweden. I, I can see this almost like being on holiday here um, because I'm taking the opportunity to kind of like to connect. Um, also, I guess you said about, you know, working around the world. I live in Lund, which is a small town, actually. But actually, that's quite nice as well. And I think maybe that's something which has helped me survive over the years as I've traveled so much, to yeah, come home yeah. to this small town, this kind of Lilliput, yeah. uh, the security, and um, knowing my neighbors, and my little back garden, and those little simple things, I think kind of is, is very comforting. Um, so I think there's something about the local connects very much with the global, that the mm. little lonely scale, and if we're comfortable, um, if our home environment, if our immediate surroundings gives us comfort and security, we can be more open to the more global aspects of life. Exactly. If you're already secure by yourself and from home, so then you can go for the out of your comfort zone globally and reach out. Yes. Very interesting. David, tell me about what are you passionate about? Is it urban planning or architecture? Well, I guess I'm, I mean, more than anything, I suppose I'm passionate about life. Cool. I think life it, it's just so amazing. I mean, to be alive and, you know, that, I mean, the fact that, I mean, although, you know, as I travel a lot, every time I get on an airplane, I think it's amazing. We can fly to other places, you know, we can experience different cultures, we can taste different foods. Um, I do think it's really amazing. I think that's something about living in the now, that just to be really aware of um, all of the sensual, amazing sensual or sensory aspects of life. And that's something which I have maybe, and that's a key thing in my education. A couple of very important people who influenced me. There are two, maybe the two most influential Danish architects, I would say. One of them, I think, is Jan Gale. Um, through his books, his education, his, his, um, his lectures. The other one, I would say, is Steinle Rasmussen. Um, Jan Gale talks about the sensory human, the human being, the human dimension. But Stenar Rasmussen, who wrote the book Experiencing Architecture, he talks about all of the sensual aspects of, of human experience. And I think those are incredibly important. I think that's why maybe I enjoy being an architect or a designer or an urbanist, because all of those things are about enjoying, accentuating the joys of life, the joys of everyday life. Um, and, I, and I think that's something, I think um, it was Ralph Erskine, Ralph Erskine wrote that, you know, to be a good architect, you have to love people. 
And I think you know, I would say you have to love everyday life. So I mean, I love all the aspects, these banal aspects of everyday life. And maybe later when we talk about the Booksoft City, a yeah. lot of that is about really, in a way you could say banal everyday stuff, but that is what our life is made up of. Um, it's about crossing the street, taking your kids to daycare, hanging the washing, going out with the rubbish. It's these everyday things. And for me, and I guess being a foreigner in Scandinavia, what I love about this Scandinavian or Nordic approach is a whole culture of design, whether it's a coffee cup or a chair or a house or an urban quarter. It's so much about making everyday life better, yeah. like everyday things. And I guess I grew up with this more Anglo-Saxon culture of Sunday best and all of the best things we had were locked away. And people who had this kind of posh front room that they were never allowed to use and the beautiful um, cups and saucers, they were kept in a, in a cupboard and only used at Christmas. And I felt it was so, it's, it's, it's so inspiring, this kind of Nordic Scandinavian way of life of really having the best things for every day. And the most carefully, thoughtfully designed things are the everyday experiences. Yeah. I guess that's kind of maybe the foundation of, um, of, of, of my kind of philosophy or, or, or thinking. Um, I guess I'm really passionate about every aspect of design. Normally, I guess if it hadn't been the, this uh, lockdown at this time of year, I'd be going to the first flea markets, going to look for old bits of um, vintage Scandinavian <laughs> for my collection. Um, but I love, I mean, I love these, these small everyday objects. Um, I love, you know, like I said, I love the, this very comfortable ergonomic Scandinavian furniture. Um, and I guess I thought, and maybe this is a little bit, I thought the, the urban part was a territory which was less explored. There were already so many really good designers. Yeah. There are so many great architects. But I thought maybe this urban area, not so many people are working on that. So that was kind of another reason maybe to, to get involved in urbanism. And as I've done that, as I've explored that, um, I've also, I'd say, I usually say it's something like um, I'm an urbanist and an optimist because what we've learned um, is that cities can offer so many opportunities to solve problems. And I think maybe beyond the, the passion of design and architecture, my my life purpose, maybe, or what I want to like is, is I see myself as a creative problem solver. Like I think many designers and architects, we're we're we are trained to solve problems creatively. There is to be exactly yes, exactly, and I think that's um, that cities offer a really amazing platform to solve bigger societal problems, whether yeah. it's uh, mobility, equality. Uh, uh, aspects of economics and health, all of these subjects can be explored, can be improved, can be bettered by, by working with the city. Yeah. I'm following your, your career, your project and reading your books and now talking to you, I can see the, your passion to life, to create life and keep the life going. And as you mentioned, the life is about this small interaction between people. But now in a coronavirus city, do you think it should call a social distancing or a physical distancing? That's that's a really good that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, I think I mean it's just first of all just to remark on 
this thing about life being really important. Jan Gale always said, life first, then space is in the buildings last. And I think it's just important to remember that the whole reason we do stuff, and I say it's true of whether we're designing cups or chairs or houses or streets, it's like the real purpose is to make a great platform for life and to make life better. Um, and I think it's a really interesting question about the social aspect, I guess. Um, what's it? There's another song, is it, is it Johnny Mitchell? I don't know. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. That, and I think suddenly as we, as this social aspect of life or the, the physical connection with people has been taken away, we're really missing it. I mean, I have, I have an espresso machine at home, but it's not as good as the espresso I have in the bar. Yeah, you know, I'm like I can make a burger at home, but it's not the same as the one maybe in town. And I can watch a movie on Netflix, but it's not the same as going to the cinema. Not the I same experience and magic. And so I guess being aware of that, um, and I, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's been a huge phenomenon. I mean, and arguably you could say that the 20th century was that was so a huge cultural shift when people who lived outdoors, when you see old photographs of cities, like 1900, yeah. and you see all these people, like little boys running on the street and men with top hats. Um, and there's so many people in the public spaces. And that was because in 1900, so many things, if you, if you wanted to do any kind of life, you had to go outside. You had to go to the market to buy food, maybe a few times a day because you didn't have a refrigerator. You had to buy fresh food all the time. You're going out. Maybe you had to go outside to the pump to get water, maybe you had to go outside to the toilet. Um, you know, you had to go outside to get entertained. Every yeah. aspect of life took you outside. And in the course of the 20th century, what happened was that more and more and more we had we could stay in. We had a refrigerator. We didn't need to get food every day. We got a freezer. We could stay in for a week or for a month. You know, we got a TV. We got video. You know, we got entertainment at home. And then, you know, We've got a machine which makes the water bubbles. Oh, you know, we can have espresso. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I guess at some point we start to discover it's not really enough. And then at the same time, we've seen this, you know, in the last 20, 30, 40 years, a slow renaissance in urban culture that we go into for urban experiences, not because we have to, but because we want to, you know, and, and going into town is something we do because it's fun. It's not because we need to show up for something. No, 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 just a joyful moment, joyful experience. Yeah. And I think maybe that's also a change. And of course, we have more online shopping than ever before. Yeah. And I imagine that's going to go increase enormously in these, in these months, which is a big problem for the shops. Exactly. But at the same time, and in Lund, I mean, we can be, you know, people will be very critical, like, yeah, so many shops are disappearing. But they're all being replaced with other things, which are to do with experience, um, cafes and restaurants, um, salons, um, like for hair and beauty and yeah. things, such. art exhibitions. Yeah. And arguably, maybe these things are actually more meaningful, like, and actually maybe as well, they create more employment, more local employment, because actually... Rather than going and buying a sweater, which is you know made in in Bangladesh or in uh, you know in, in in China, that if we consume a cup of coffee with the beans which are roasted locally, mm. we're actually keeping the money more locally as well. Yeah, and by yeah. buying our sourdough bread, 
you know, and having our expensive fika, you know, we're actually supporting uh, the local economy more. Exactly. You know, so, because, yeah, please. Yeah, so, so if, if the question is, is it social distancing or physical? So you think it's physical more than a social because but I understand you you got the new relationship with your neighbors now you're more you're recognizing them yes. so it's not really a social distancing well you know it's 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 something yeah it's a bit of both and I think um, of course one of the huge risks of um so of, of the kind of more digital contacts is somehow that's kind of filtered in a way you know we're in the same way Spotify chooses the music for us they think well you'll like we think you'll like this you know Facebook sets you no know, tries to connect with people we think we know kind of or, or, or linkedin yeah. connects us especially with people we should we should connect with and the kind of um the completely serendipitous and spontaneous of meeting strangers i mean thrown together with real strangers is maybe being lost and that's the part which may worries me the most because i think it's i mean i don't have a car so i rely on public transport and for me being thrown together with different people and the value of, for example, eavesdropping, hearing other people's conversations, yeah, yeah. seeing other people close up, you learn so much about your um, your fellow citizens. You're seeing how they live. You're hearing their thoughts. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So the value of that that connection with people who are not like me, people who are different, is 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 one of the big risks. I think in terms of of how we socialize in these times, and we're learning very fast. Um, the last couple of weekends, I've had um, multi-generational um, Zoom meetings with my, my family members, my mother, who's 85, with wow. her iPad, with my, my nieces. One of my nieces is actually in Bilbao in Spain. And we're all cool. connecting and having a conversation together, which actually we almost never did. I mean, like we didn't have on Christmas that the whole family. <laughs> now, because we're not going out on Saturday nights, suddenly we're all sitting and talking to the grandmother. On Saturday nights, because actually we've got nothing else to do, and that's actually so far been quite rewarding. You know, we're discovering different parts of our, ourselves. But I think as I walk around the town, and, and now we're very privileged in Sweden, we have more freedom for the moment than other parts of, of the world. Yeah. You can still just walk freely, um, and of course, people are joking that the Swedes have always socially distanced. Like you know, if you see people standing at a bus stop. In Sweden, there was always there was always two meters between each person, <laughs> um, and and maybe there's a kind of you know and then you know and there's all these aspects. I, I saw there was an article on the BBC of the weekend, how Swedish lifestyle is so appropriate for it, the time of coronavirus because small individual households, the lack of multi generational households, um, the fact that people like to keep a distance that they're reserved, um, or the fact that. In Sweden, if you've got the mildest headache, you stay at home. You know, there's a whole range of things which maybe mean that Sweden is in a rather unique position, or maybe maybe it's all of the Nordic countries. I don't know, and and and, and I don't know. I mean, if there's a deeper, if it's if it's Lutheran, Calvinist, Protestant culture or something, I don't know. But I think it's it's interesting to see um, how people are longing to be outside because I think this one of the big worries is is about um, how to stay healthy. Yeah. And how to stay uninfected from this very specific um, coronavirus, but how to stay healthy in a holistic way. You know, and I think one of the areas with the surprising areas I've discovered in my, in my professional career 
and the work we do with Gail is more and more of our work is about health. And often we're invited not by architects or planners to come speak at a conference, we're asked by doctors, you know, and mm. like health authorities. And I guess I think, you know, also like, so this question of public health, and, you know, you could ask a, a district nurse or a surgeon, what's the foundation of public health? And they'll say more or less the same thing. They'll say fresh air, exercise, meet people. It's the foundation of physical and mental health. Um, fresh air, it's it's um, it naturally kills bacteria. It's kind of, you know, we need fresh air in our buildings. Yeah. Outside, breathing the fresh air, um, getting that sunlight as well, of course, vitamin D, um, being outside, um, exercise. It doesn't mean playing squash or ice hockey, just walking about, <laughs> yeah. getting exercise. And of course, for mental health, having some kind of um, social connection, even just saying hello to someone on the street. Um, those things are you know, incre incredibly important. So at the same time, how we balance the 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 city, which stops us being infected, or the, the, the society structure, which stops infection, we've got to be careful not to lose the, the society, which gives us health benefits. Um, and I think a big part of like, what are the things we can do to be to be outside, to be moving around, having some kind of contact, maybe it's a little bit more distance, but we're still amongst other human beings. Um, and I think there are a lot of you know learnings to do. Um, I think it's interesting one right now because I'm aware this conversation in one week's time might be incredibly out of date. Yes, exactly. Because we're, okay. we're learning so much day by day. Um, one of the things I've, I, I've, I've noticed is that this conversation about masks, um, wearing masks. And, and I yeah. think what we've learned now, the wearing of the mask is not to protect us, is to protect other people. Um, and it's very interesting that um, cultures like Japan, which is incredibly dense, cities like Tokyo, um, with an incredible physical density, they have kept working. All of their workspaces have been open during this period. And somehow they, they've not had the same spreading. So the fact that maybe at a very small, simple detail, like wearing a mask in, on, the, on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the metro, that that kind of small detail can actually allow the whole of society to keep functioning. So again, I'm, I'm always fascinated, and that's something in my in my soft account that looking for simple solutions. You know, sometimes it's simple, basic solutions can allow things to go on. And in a way, you could say the mask is kind of like a little filter, um, and it's just significant enough to allow so much more to happen. Yeah, yeah, like the small details could affect the, the entire city. And talking about the small solution, you mentioned a lot of them during in your in your book, and we are going to talk about it as well. But now I'm thinking like, how can architecture and urban planning help cities to to stay alive during this kind of disease or illnesses? Well, I suppose it what we have to become is is aware of 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 how um, of the things that work. We have a very good opportunity now to really understand what works. Um, what I learned from Jan Gale, um, the old Gale approach was, rather than just having an opinion about something, everybody's an opinion, and we have a huge problem now that everybody has an opinion about things. Yeah. And we're always respecting experts, but the idea of rather than just having an opinion, going and studying, going and looking and observing. 
And I think in this period now, we have a very good opportunity to look what's working, you know, which buildings are actually proving to be very flexible and easy to convert to new uses, you know, which details of buildings work well. I mean, everybody's been captivated by the Italian balconies that, you know, this kind yes. of, uh, you know, that Europe, maybe the world's most sociable people who've suddenly been locked down, they've used this little architectural detail, the balcony, as a means to connect, to, to be sociable, to connect with their neighbours, to communicate and entertain with each other. And for me, that's one of the, the little small solutions, um, things. And I guess that's something we talk, I talk about in Soft City, are those little details which kind of buffer us, but um, and that's the kind of the softness, whether it's a balcony, French window, maybe a veranda, a loggia, a porch, um, a little garden, an edge zone. And those are buffers which kind of allow us to be in the space together, but there's a kind of a clarity about where you should be. Yeah. And, it, and in normal situations, it, it means that you're more comfortable being just outside your front door because you have this little bit of protection. And so it's kind of these layers or buffers. It's kind of like, like the face mask. What are the little things that allow us to work? And for me, there's something about the scale of buildings. One of the things I get really passionate about is the traditional apartment building, the tenement building. And I grew up in Scotland where we have this European style tenement apartment building, you know, the 10, 8, 10, 12 families around the same stair. And the value of, first of all, the community that that creates, because you have a kind of a micro community in your building. And if it's too many people, it becomes anonymous. Yeah. But if this 8, 10, 12, I don't know. You recognize a, them. You could have, everybody kind of knows each other. And you know there's the old lady on the second floor, <laughs> the kids, and the single mom, and you kind of know everyone. And if it's a very friendly steer, there's a kind of a tolerance that the children stick their drawings on the, on the door. You see the stroller. You see the smelly trainers outside the door. Like, these, there's all these little tolerances. And as, as you walk up the stair, even if you don't meet your neighbor, you're reminded of who's there. Or suddenly say, oh, oh look, it's like, um, like um, you know, you see, oh, they've got a new stroller. They've had another baby, you know. And even there's a kind of social control that if you see there's like muddy marks on the stair, you know, okay, it's the Svensson boys. We have to speak to their mother, you know. Or, you know, and, and that kind of, nobody would ever put um, rubbish on the staircase because everybody knows each other. We take care of the old ladies. There's a kind of self-policing, self-nursing. So that scale in itself is very interesting because we're seeing now how people are reacting to dealing with this and we're having to very rapidly build community connections with our neighbors. And it's through the staircase, the, the, that, that, that staircase community in the building. It might be through the courtyard, it's the street. So even if we're making virtual communities by making a little Facebook group or a little online group to take care of our neighbors, the, the structure of that digital group reflects some analog physical reality. So I, 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 but that fascinates me a lot. And there's just another detail about the staircase, if you excuse me, going on about staircases. Um, if you've got this building with corridors and, and elevators with lifts, it's very kind of like, there's not really any choice. And it's kind of like this, as you step out into the unknown, it's kind of like you feel you're opening your apartment door, or getting it or the elevator door opens and it's kind of Russian roulette, you know, if you're stuck with someone. And in this time of, of, of kind of social distancing, the, the, the classic staircase is actually much more negotiable. Um, and you could joke 
I mean, the, the Swedes and the Finns were famous for like opening the door and listening and making sure there was no one in the stair before they go out. But that skill is actually very useful now because we can use the staircase, we can avoid each other, we can open the door and say, okay, go, go past, I'll wait till you come out. We can negotiate that. The, this, you know, the, we, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very simple instinctive control. We can negotiate the social distancing with the classic staircase, which we can't do with an elevator or with corridors. And it sounds very simplistic, but it's this kind of the choices that a physical environment can give us to open a door or not, to be able to maneuver between people, the buffer zone that a front garden, the opportunity a balcony gives you, gives you having a window with shutters. I mean, there are little details which give the individual a lot of control and, and have these kind of subtle maneuvers to deal with comings and goings and different situations. So we can be more sociable, less sociable. I guess in other situations, you know, maybe we've got very certain neighbors who are kind of desperate to be social and are waiting with the door a little bit open, hoping to catch someone. And that's great as well. It's about how very simple details allow us to negotiate different situations. So that was a very long answer. I hope that wasn't too much. No, it was a great answer because you, you mentioned so many different elements that uh, function actually during this time with the coronavirus. Or your point was that you, we need to reflect and see what works and what doesn't work actually in what we are creating. So do, do you think now we have a kind of recipe for the future to design the future cities of the future neighborhood? Oh, wow, that's a big question. Um, a recipe for future neighborhoods. I mean, what we can learn from now, I'd say my experience, I live in the middle of a town, um, that the city is actually feeling an incredibly useful place to be. Um, we have, you know, our preppers, you know, people who are looking to live away in the countryside and stockpile food and everything. I find in this time of difficulty, it's incredibly useful to be in town. Of course, it's nice to know that there's a hospital close by. But the fact that we have all of the resources which make society useful close at hand. We also have lots of different people with different skills who could be relevant in our lives close at hand. So I feel very optimistic that the future of cities is good. We maybe have to look at some details of how we design them for specific things. But on the whole, the phenomenology of cities, I think is important. I would be really scared. Somebody said to me a couple of days ago, do you think we'll go back to some kind of modernist planning, you know, with everybody isolated oh, in no. their in, or in, in their apartment and everybody driving their own car because they're clean in their own car. And that would be a terrifying future if we decided to go on that line. Mm. I think um, the, the future city will be even softer. I think we will recognize the values of neighborhood. And I mean, neighborhood, both the physical aspect of neighborhood, but also the mental aspect. I think I could remember like neighborhood is not just a place, it's a, it's a state of mind. Um, and the value of uh, this interconnection and also levels of neighborhood, because they're kind of like our neighbors, like our next door neighbors, the people that live upstairs and downstairs on the stair. But there's also our neighbors like, I think, you know, the guy who makes my coffee, he's also my neighbor, you know, the, yeah. the supermarket. And I think maybe in this time of bit of crisis, we become more appreciative and more respecting of all these people that work around us. Um, and I think for me, coming from 
Anglo-Saxon background and seeing the very um, negative attitude of talking about, you know, unskilled or lesser skilled people and recognizing we, we shouldn't use those terms. We have different skills. You know, we have different abilities, you know, and right now I'm incredibly grateful to these guys in the supermarket who yes. are doing this stuff that, you know, that despite everything, I can live a pretty much normal life and have access to all of the 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 the, the things I need to survive. So I, I think um, that that kind of recognition of, of of neighborhood and how do we make cities that connect us better? And there, you know, there are physical aspects of things like we've talked about the balconies, the staircase, the veranda, the little front garden. We can also maybe think about how we move around the city. And I think. The other thing, as we become maybe more concerned about public transport, the value of being able to walk, be able to yes. walk, to do many of our errands locally, or if we can't walk, we could cycle. And of course, apart from, we all know that walking and cycling is very healthy and it doesn't pollute and all those things. It actually allows us to do so much more. And in a time of, you know, uh, um, of, of, of of an epidemic disease, we can actually do that because we can still walk. We can still walk. We can work easily work out the distances between people. We can ride our bikes, and that's actually very useful as well. It is, and I think something we can test um, in these times is how much of our everyday life can we actually take care of walking and cycling. Um, and I think that also is a, is, is a sign of a kind of sustainability, the potential for resilience. That we can do so much with um, with relative ease. Yeah, it's it's a big moment of reflection about the people you meet, the design you make. It's a, I believe it's a, it's a big sign for us, for all the people on this planet. Okay, stop and just think about what you're doing and what you're gonna do in the future as well. So I believe it's a yeah. Of course, it's a sad moment, but at the same time, there is a positive part of it that we, we, we need to reflect about our daily life. Uh, this takes me to the future. David, what do you think about the smart city? Because all of us dreaming, oh, smart city, smart city. But what is a smart city for you? Well, I mean, it's true. It's, um, um, it's, it's, a, it's I, I, I think probably every, almost every second conference, every second event I, I get invited to do is something with smart. Yeah. And, um, I think it's 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 very often and it reflects our culture, which is very much focused on new technology, on capital capitalism and capital investment, um, on technological solutions to problems. Um, of course, I think I'm incredibly grateful for the digital platforms that allows us to have this conversation, that allows me to do so much of my work. Um, that allows me to connect with my family. So that, I mean, there's lots of us, you know, the, you know, the, the convenience of online retail or, you know, being able to find like the whole world is my marketplace on, on yes. eBay. I mean, there's so many great aspects, you know, and, um, you know, and maybe even, maybe, you know, since I've been at home, um, but the biggest challenge I've had since I got at home is now my, my vacuum cleaner's broken. So I can vacuum cleaners and I will do all this research online and I'm wondering whether I should buy this robot vacuum cleaner, which I can control. <laughs> so there are lots of, I mean, of course, technology brings with it lots of benefits. 
Yeah. But I guess the point is, is they're not enough. We can't see them, only those things. So I guess, I mean, one of the reasons um, I wrote Soft City was kind of to make a counterbalance to say that there are, yes, there's all this technology, but there's all this cheap stuff. There's this easy stuff we can do. And don't forget the human dimension, the human connectedness. You know, we can have an extremely complex um, computer controlled, air conditioned heat pump system, or we can have windows that we can open ourselves. You know, we can have, you know, we can have shutters, you know, we can adjust the louvers, you know, there's, there's, there's simple solutions to things, you know, we can have, you know, high tech mobility systems, but things like having the little medium strip down the street so I can cross the road almost anywhere, or the continuous pavement, the continuous sidewalk and street corners, which means kids can walk 10 blocks to school by crossing the street. There's lots of really, really simple stuff as well. And also just to make room for that simple stuff, which may also help us connect better to, to people, place and planet, to you know, in, our, in, our, in our everyday lives. So I, I think, um, and I guess the reason, one of the reasons we chose the name Soft City, um, the, the working title for the book was actually The Shit That Works. Okay. And you know, just because it was a way of saying there's all this other stuff, but the trouble is, I think for many of the people, and there's a lot of people who work with this, this everyday stuff with simple, um, low-tech technology, which is actually incredibly useful, you know, I mean, all over the world, you know, this kind of human-scale solutions, um, the simple stuff that can make public space better, all the people, you know, we've been working, you know, with um, pilot projects and, um, you know, urban interventions, you know, parklets, all of the stuff, you know, kind of tactical urbanism, there's so many stuff going, I know, which I can you put kind of an umbrella for all of this great stuff. And that the idea was that somehow this soft could be a kind of a a simple name to, to kind of maybe simple sexy name to kind of compass <laughs> all of this quite good stuff that so many people are doing around the world, which maybe gets dismissed because it seems a bit simple. And I think that's maybe one of our biggest challenges is not to recognize the value of the simple solution. And whether it's Wearing a mask on the subway in times of illness, of having a little balcony on an apartment, or a, a sidewalk or pavement which allows you to cross the street. Um, simple details, simple things, you know, are often incredibly effective. Yeah, so the solution is not all about going high take all the time. There is a simple solution. This solution could be very simple. Yeah. And it's the same for this on the city scale. Simple things could could make the city sustainable and social. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the things that make great cities work. I mean, you go to somewhere like Amsterdam, and actually, I mean, the basic structure is incredibly simple. It's the same house again and again and again. Yeah, and again, yeah. Just slightly different. You know, it's. I mean, great city often. You know, really wonderful cities. I mean, the architecture maybe it can be quite vanilla sometimes, you know? I mean, I mean, great, like you go to, you know, Barcelona or, you know, Copenhagen, and of course there's some great architecture, but lots of it is just quite normal buildings, but buildings which somehow support everyday life, they support the public realm, the street, they support the private realm of the courtyard and the gardens, then they, they allow many different things to happen in the same place. And I think that's always one of the things I try to think about 
And I guess this is something to learn for us as architects and designers, not just think about what something looks like, but asking, what does it do? Like, you know, what does this, I mean, famous piece of design, the trip trap chair, the, the kid's chair, you know, and, you know, some people think it's beautiful, some people think it's really ugly, but the question, what does it do? Exactly. Say, this is an amazing chair, which allows children to sit at the same table as their parents, to have eye level contact, promoting a better, you know, better relationships. It grows with the child and, and so on, so on. So it's not just what it looks like, this nice, simple design with yeah, scandalous yeah. wood, but what does it do? Mm-hmm. And I think we have to have that same kind of, when we look at our buildings and our public spaces, what do they do? Um, and sometimes we have to recognize that quite modest buildings, quite modest streets and squares actually do much more than the really fancy places. Exactly, exactly. The more, more values actually, bring yeah. more values to the city. Yes, exactly. I think yeah. values is a good word. I think values is yeah. a good word. Right, yeah, David. What is you're being all around the world? What is your favorite city? Or I know one is difficult. Maybe two favorite city that you think. Okay, this is a soft city for me. Um, I, I think it's really hard to choose a favorite. <laughs> but I think you find because you find glimpses of the soft city in many many places, and I, and I always get really excited when I think, oh, this is another aspect of it. Um. And somewhere at the end of the book, I tried to think like I, I actually wanted to have like hundreds of examples of here is a <laughs> glimpse of the soft city. You know, um, I was in Paris um, last autumn and they've really made it, they've really pushed to have um, drinking water available in public spaces. Mm. And for me, it's just like a, a wonderful little detail in Paris, you know, really expensive. You know, if you buy a bottle of water, it's three euros or something. And the fact that you can fill your water bottle for free in lots of public spaces in Central Park. So it's a little detail suddenly changes this whole environment because there's a kind of you know, gener- generosity. Um, so those kind of little details, um, I really appreciate um, a softness in Tokyo. Tokyo really fascinates me because it's maybe the biggest city in the world. Yeah. I know it's 30 million people, but it's kind of like one big village in a way, and everybody imagines, you know, um, Tokyo is a city of skyscrapers. If I'm correct, I think the average height of buildings in Tokyo is between two and three stories. Wow. So actually, it's a very low city uh, and with a lot of village qualities. Yeah. And there's so much at eye level. So I guess that softness is are the things that are really close to me at eye level. That, that That's a, a good clue. And there's a kind of care about about me, uh, me as a human being. Um, I think there's an idea that you know everything Japanese is really beautiful. Um, <laughs> a lot of Japanese cities, I think, are really ugly, actually. You know, but on the big scale. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. At, But there's the, a value. When I'm down at the small scale, they really take care of me. Yes, in this the very small restaurant with this very nice, beautifully made plate of delicious <laughs> fish and this beautiful chopstick, and they take care of me in the small scale. And the, the, there's also a whole behavior of people who are used to living in smaller environments and we behave in a different way. But they take care, there's the, 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 the scale of the shop front. So the first three meters of the building, really well designed and taken care of, filled with sensual detail. Um, so there's like a, a small scale where I, I really feel taken care of. And that's where I think I, you know, I, I, you know, I find the softness. Also, and I don't know whether this is hardware or software, clean toilets, everywhere in Japan, 
which again, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I wasn't allowed to put this in the book. Uh, I wanted to have a little chapter about toilets and the American publisher thought it was a little bit strange, but <laughs> it, it, it's something about the hardware and software of society. Yes, this is a yes. digital reality at a certain times of your life. Um, if you've got a young child, I know, who, you know, going at that stage of moving out of nappies, moving out of diapers and kind of like learning, to, it's really important that you could, that there are many convenient, nice, clean toilets to go to when we're like playing that. As you get older and your body's function changes, the frequency of toilet trips is important. So that's, that's something you could say is part of the softness. It's something in the background. And of course, the hardware is the physical availability of the toilet. The software is the, is the fact that it's clean, nice and usable. Um, so I'm looking for aspects everywhere. So I mean, there are lots and lots of like tiny examples where I get a little bit optimistic and say, oh, this is a really nice detail. One new phenomenon which I'm excited about is, is the big table. In cafes, restaurants, you're now getting this big common table in the middle. Yes. And um, and I don't know where that started. I don't know if it, I, I, the first time I saw it was in this bakery in in in, in the U.S. the Pan Quotidien kind of where they've got the big table, and it's really smart because actually you can choose to be sociable, and people do it. And, and because I put my kind of my social <laughs> glasses on working, and I'm like observing in the cafe where do people sit, and normally people would choose the you know the the seat on the edge with their back to the wall on this on this banquette on this bench or they choose the window seat. But now, thanks to this big table, people are now sitting in the middle. And it's really fascinating to discover that something as simple as a big table invites people to be sociable. It's an incredibly simple detail. So I think more than, and I'm sorry I didn't answer your question about my favorite city, I, I suppose I should say Copenhagen. But, <laughs> uh, but, but I, I think you can find softness everywhere. And I think you often find that there's a culture of softness. And I think in Copenhagen, you see it in the walking street, Strugget. You see it in the bike lanes. You see it in the cafe furniture all year round, the blankets so people can sit outside. Um, a whole range of things, um, which goes from the very small, the thoughtful thing of having the blanket on the cafe chair, to the, the bicycle snake, the bridge which crosses the water, like the big pieces of infrastructure. There's a whole culture of valuing these human oriented things. And that culture, you'll find it in Melbourne, in Australia, maybe not the Sydney, it's maybe the sexy city with the Opera House and the Harbour yes, Bridge, yes. lovely weather. Melbourne's got, you know, it's, it's a much more vanilla city. It's got a vanilla landscape. Its weather's not great, but they've really worked with the urban culture of laneways, of public spaces, of integrating their, their tram system, and they really make, you know, and, and a whole level of details. And you find that this culture of human dimension is really, you know, grows there. Freiburg in Germany, Curitiba in Brazil. There are cities which really um, embrace that. And somehow you create a culture around this human dimension. Yes, yes. It's very interesting reflection. I got the question. It's where, where are we going now? Like, because, for instance, now you're working from home. You have a full time job just sitting at home, looking at the screen and working. So let's hope that coronavirus is going to be off and gone soon. Do you think we're going to still keep this attitude of working digitally from home? What do you think about the, the, the nearest future? Well, 
course, I really don't know. And, um, and I'm and obviously I'm, I'm not an expert in the digital thing. What interests me a lot, I mean, this is only from a very personal point of view, is maybe, I mean, maybe we don't need to travel as much. Um, and by being forced to use these digital technologies, um, I'm, I'm saving time. I'm saving a lot of energy. I mean, we're all over the world. We're seeing this amazing and it's incredible that it's gone so fast. How quickly this change in behavior by not flying, not polluting, that suddenly it gets cleaner so much faster. You know, I mean, um, that's that that's been a really incredible uh, eye opener, um, and it's made me realize that maybe first of all I can live my life and. Perhaps by using more technology, I can use less energy. But I hope also, I mean, and I was discussing with a colleague earlier today, I'd like to work at home more, um, uh -huh. not all the time, but certainly if I could work um, home, not just because, not, not just about being at home, but it allows me to be better connected with my neighbors, my local community. I go to local restaurants, I do other things. And I think that's something about being better connected to where you are is is something i would really hope and for me that's the balance of the smart and the soft and the soft yeah using this technology to give us better connections to where we are i'm very lucky i live on the ground i live in a funny little um, maybe the ugliest house in loon <laughs> but, um, I, I have a front door I, i'm on the street I, I see people around me i can see what the weather's like i live in a in, in a place with a human dimension and human scale and i'm in walking distance to a supermarket and to the bus stop and a post box and to many useful things, which allows me to live my life. Many environments don't have that. They're yes. not walkable. There's not uh, a great range of different things in proximity. There aren't people outside, outside your door. So there's not that invitation. So of course, in some places, if you're stuck on the 13th floor of this tower, looking down at a windswept landscape, that technology might be very negative for you because if you don't go outside, so it's it's really a question of balance. And I think it's really important that we balance the smart city with the human, the soft city. Yes, yes, that's very. It's it's a good uh, recipe for the for developing the future cities actually. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for your, all your inspiration and facts and reflection. I will not take much of your time. I have the the last three question. The first one is, what is the next step for you now as a David person? Um, well, my next question is to find out um, if I can live more locally. I think living locally would be one of my um, big themes to think about. Um, I think it's, it's a theme for my work. It's also for my life personally. Um, and I'm going to see now if I can um, work at home more, um, also travel less in the world, if I can do more of my job like, you know, in, in this kind of form and maybe in this way also um, help the planet more. So that, that's something which I, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking a lot about. I'm also thinking about, about health, my own personal health, um, because in a funny way, my health is actually quite good, you know, just by, by taking this break and having more regular meals, having more time for myself, going for walks. And there's something about because Suddenly, the fact that being allowed to go out for a walk, and you know, it's it's it's, it's a thing now. You put value on it in a different way. Yes. Um, so I'm really much more conscious about the value of the time I spend outdoors, and the fact that sitting 
on a bench getting my vitamin D is actually an important thing I have to do. Yes. So, so health that healthier healthier thing I think is really important. And again, for me, it's this awareness about simple things um, that the very simple things have become incredibly significant. And actually, well, as I'm spending more time at home, surrounded by all my stuff, <laughs> we have possessions. And you think about all the expensive stuff you bought, and you try to think, well, which things actually help me live my life in a better yeah. way? Yeah. yeah. So you find, you know, and I guess maybe I have to do some kind of Marie Kondo in my life, <laughs> right? getting rid of stuff and concentrating on these important everyday details, which allow you to be better connected with, um, with the outside, with nature, with the forces of the planet, with the place I live in and the yeah. people around me. Wow, that's a big reflection about your lifestyle, actually. That's really great. And how would you summarize your thoughts and reflection and three takeaway messages for all the people that listening and watching you now? Well, I guess I, I think they're the same. I think the my answer are the same. I would say, think about living locally. Yeah. Like the values of living locally, the potential for living locally, and the things that work and don't work. And for me, this is a really great opportunity when, when we have this time of suddenly getting this very different perspective, really look at what works, what doesn't work. Um, and so like, how do, does my environment allow me to live locally? How much and how much? So that would be the first one. Um, and the second one is the health one. Is this, what are the opportunities to live a healthy life? Um, to what extent is my built environment, my city, my town, my suburb, how much is that allowing me to live a healthy life? Or when am I denied that life? You know, this thing, can I get outdoors? Can I get physical exercise in an easy way every day? Can I come in contact with other human beings easily? And like asking those questions about, about your immediate environment, I think is, you know, is really, really valuable because I do believe that the built environment, the city has a potential to make uh, a platform for a healthy life, but it doesn't always do that. And again, I think to have some quite critical eyes, think, well, this works, this works, but this really doesn't. And the last one, I guess I say, okay, I'll, I'll take the same ones again, is think about the simple things. That simple things, um, the simple details, what do we value the most you know, in this time? What, what, what are you know, the, the most important things? Like I've discovered my, my French window with a view out to, to the, I, I, as I look out here, I can look over my computer. <laughs> laneway and I see people passing and people washing their, walking their dogs. I can wave to the balcony lady. Um, it's an I mean, just very simple details actually radically change my everyday life. Yeah. I think by, by being forced to be in one place, we're suddenly really focusing on those things and be, just being aware. And I think maybe when this is over, there's a time for reflection. Okay, what do I want to make? What can we make better? Yeah. What we make better and what things can we get rid of mm -hmm. um, and i think it's important as we plan new places in the future how can we plan, make sure that we are we future-proof places we have to make sure how can can we live locally can we be healthy can we find simple solutions yes yes well that's very very inspiring david thank you so much thank you so well, much thank you so much well thank you um, for this platform is a great Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to talk f with inspiring people like you because I believe the world needs now for, uh, for 
voices like yours to to get inspired and to keep going to go through this problem and take the, the positive aspect from it so one more time thank you so much for giving your valuable time for this and i really appreciate it david a pleasure thank you very much thank you and thank you for listening or watching urbanistica podcast i am mustafa sharif have a good life